I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Podcarts Life is Like a Box of Records podcast. My name is Helena Rafai. Occasionally, I bring in special guests to talk about records that have soundtracked their lives so far. For rights reasons, music may be shorter than the original song. This week's guest is she. Hello, Sue. Hi, Helena. (laughs) It's been... uh, I I was going to start launching into a song, uh, like uh, Sinead O'Connor or something. So it's been 10 years... (laughs) I think, not since we've spoken, obviously, but 10 years since we've recorded a podcast together. Yes. And uh, you are now under the artist's name of She. Yes. What the hell have you been doing for the last 10 years? What have I been doing? 10 years. It's strange. I don't, it doesn't feel like that long until I meet someone again or speak with someone that, I used to know during that time, and of course it's a completely different project now, but yeah, and then I'm kind of reminded it has been 10 years, and where have I been? Um, I took a couple of years out of music, or certainly music took much more of a backseat. I always um, battled a little bit with this idea of whether I really ever wanted to try and make music the thing that was my full-time job, my income, because I didn't want to put pressure on the music side. And so because of that, I always worked a bunch of other jobs. Um, And the intention was to only ever work those jobs to be able to earn some money to put back into the music. But what always happened was all of my best energy would go into those jobs. And so, yeah, music became something that I did when I could. And I never really felt really comfortable with that either. Um, but it got to the point, maybe you know, like three, four, five years now, where I almost stopped enjoying the music side because it felt very much like I was just trying to fit it in and that didn't feel completely respectful. And also, yeah, I became much more interested in the production side of things. Certainly with the last project, that was never something that I had had enough confidence to explore. And so in those years in between, uh, yeah, I started experimenting with that. I also also had a job where I climbed many mountains um, in many places very far away. And it felt very much like I had a very different life. So you were under the previous name of Panda Sue. Yes. Um, and I think you were pretty much, at, you were there at the infancy of my journey within music as well. And we did do a, quite a lot of stuff together. Yes. Um, we did a few shows. 
we did recording stuff we we generally hung out I think um as well which was um really nice and obviously we've gone down our our different roads um and so on the um it's been a, a really fascinating journey for you and it's been really nice seeing you come back and we'll be talking more about that later but um this life is like a box of records premise is is that I've asked you to pick six songs that have soundtracked your life so far. There's some absolute belters on here. Um, so we're kicking off with The Land of Talk and uh, someone I'm not familiar with. Okay. So um, I suppose this record arrived in my life when I was at school and I played in lots of bands at school but I found it impossible to find any girls to play in bands alongside. So I spent almost all of my time hanging out with guys, um, singing in bands, um, doing many Metallica covers, actually. Wow. <laughs> yes, uh, P.O.D. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I always wished, I think, that I had had some friends at school that were women that I could play alongside. Um then I found this record by Land of Talk, and actually I cannot remember how I came across it, but um, I listened to it probably for one entire year, like almost non-stop. Uh, the lead singer is this incredible woman called Elizabeth Powell, uh, the band are Canadian, and the track uh, Summer Lakes, yeah, I mean, just everything about it, really, when I listened to it, it made me wish that I had gone through some of those formative years with someone like Elizabeth Powell by my side. special about this song in particular from that record why did this one stand out it's the first track that I'd heard from the album yeah and I don't know it's just sometimes you very you remember so vividly your introduction to something and actually whether that song becomes a song that becomes most important it still holds this place that it can take you back to a very specific time and I think yeah that's exactly how I feel when I listen to this track so Death Cab for Cutie and Marching Bands of Manhattan. This was, uh, Plans was a huge album and I think there was a bit of a kind of shift. Um, There was a lot of bands that came around and musicians that came around this time that it was just this glorious indie period. Um, And this song is, oh, it breaks my heart. I first discovered... Death Cab for Cutie on a show called The OC. Yes. Now, I want to talk about this show because um, I was a big fan of this show. But the main reason I was a big fan of this show is because this show literally introduced me to some of my favourite bands. Uh, Sophie and Stevens, Interpol, uh, Imogen Heap, I heard for the first time on that show. Death Cab, A Lack of Colour. Uh, yeah. And I think... 
that for me it was hard to discover music again going back to like how I like where I grew up um in Fife there is not an amazing music scene there there are things happening but certainly it's not the place that you would go to hear or watch bands and so I relied on tv shows like the OC to kind of that was my education in music and so Death Cab yeah wow I was a big fan kind of fell in love with Benjamin Gibbard from a very young age and just his lyrics how but they just yeah it's certainly the first time that I really became obsessed with like they put out an album the first thing I do would be to purchase that and to open it up and to read the lyrics immediately and I've and I've missed that and I was speaking to someone recently about this about lyrics and actually personally I don't I don't print um or people have asked like what are the lyrics to this song and I personally like how people can, by not always knowing the words, they can make their own connections uh, or interpretations. But <laughs> but on the other side of that, that was my favourite thing to do growing up. It was you, you literally spent hours. And I was talking to my other half about it, is that I would sit in my bedroom. I'd, like I, Before the internet, I'm just like, it was just the best time. Or becoming obsessed, I suppose, with the internet to a certain degree um, and the scrolling generation. And having to actually, you know, you purchased releases religiously and you would, I, I would even know who the sound engineer was. Oh my God, the, the credits, know. like I loved reading the credits, like who are these people thanking? Yeah. And I want to know like who are the people that they are thanking and yeah. why? And like, that was my favourite, like my absolute favourite thing. I would go to that first and then I would listen to the music. Yeah. So yeah. like I need some backstory on this. Yeah. Um, yeah, and definitely, definitely felt like that a lot with... Probably the Death Cab back catalogue. I mean, I probably have everything. That's impressive. Everything on there. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so this song, I think, plan. I was thinking the other day, what was my favourite album? And actually, in truth, I haven't returned to, it wasn't until I was putting together this playlist and I was like, well, of course, Death Cab for Kitty should be on there. And then I returned to this song and I was like, wow, even listening to it today, I feel a little bit emotional because it reminds me of a time when I was just discovering bands like this, like, wow, there are people out there writing about things that I'm feeling in my head. This is really powerful. This song as well, I think that the way that it it kind of builds throughout is it just, it catches you um, and it's, it's so anthemic. So it's the big one, the big B. Um, I think we both like love her equally, probably the same amount. I mean, she's she's my be all and end all, but I came to Bjork very late. Did you? Very late. I came. Yeah, actually, I had a very strange musical upbringing. Um, my parents 
listen to music, but it's certainly... I never really discovered music through them. And I feel like actually I did a lot of um, figuring out or finding out about some of my favorite artists much, much, much later in life. In fact, still today, I'm still, I feel like I'm still discovering like bands that's like, oh God, I wish I'd, like, how did I not know about them like 20 years ago? But it feels kind of just as special to like listen to them today, like, oh. And Bjork, I think, I mean, what can you really say about Bjork? And of course, today's a poignant day because last night we saw her Yeah. Um, at the Hydro. And we were saying earlier, I think we both also saw a festival. The last time I saw her was 10 years ago. And since then, uh, crazy things have happened. Um, Like maybe we'll speak a little bit about it later, but Iceland has very suddenly become a very, very important place um, in my life. And that was not linked to Bjork or even to the label. I had gone out to Iceland, literally returned in one of those very strange kind of serendipitous uh, ways suddenly all these paths just started sort of overlapping um and Bjork suddenly yeah I mean so what do you love about her and the song that you've chosen is Enjoy which is one of her I mean it's one of her strongest I would say um but I mean her her discography is ridiculous um but what, what when you first discovered her, what was it that kind of just blew you away? That I think what was so powerful to me was that she was making music and you knew that she was not at any point questioning whether this was music that was being made for other people. This was her. She was not, I mean, what you hear is her And that has not been influenced by anyone. I think that's really quite a rare thing. And especially when your career does span so many years that there are occasions where it may... Sometimes it feels like people are starting to write music in a way that they think might, you know, be popular or not to manipulate, but certainly like there's trendy music or there's times to release certain kinds of music. Uh, I've never felt like that with Bjork. never ever felt that she has sat down and gone "Mm, okay what's gonna what's gonna work this time and as a result of that I think that's why her music is just so I mean yeah it's why she's pretty incredible really so that I just want to briefly talk about what we experienced last night in terms of our performance and just the general production overall and um, the sound and 
just how forward thinking um, she is and obviously the people that she works with. Um, the, I mean, how, how do you sum up last night? So I am still processing today. Um, I had never been to the hydro before and actually I don't always enjoy those sort of big arena spaces um but of course i wanted to see her show and so um yeah i cannot remember the last time that i went to see a show where visually it was just so incredibly beautiful um and thought-provoking and their production was incredible i i was saying earlier and i'm trying to describe that it was almost like even when the show started and there was this incredible Icelandic choir and then there was just a suggestion because you just heard her voice but you didn't see her. But just knowing, I mean, yeah, that probably would have been enough for me. It it does, because she's such a force of nature, it does kind of like take your breath away that I mean I was sat going she's she's just she's right there and it just it's almost I found at times last time it was just so overwhelming that I just couldn't really comprehend it it's almost like and this is going to sound very profound but you know when you start to think about the universe and the size of it and just what might exist that it's 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 almost on that level that you're just like how did she even how did they even come up with that last night? And the flute ensemble, who were absolutely insane, um, and just everything. But we could go on forever. Um, I have to talk, obviously, about One Little Indian, which is uh, a label that you know I'm very familiar with. Having, as I think, you become it's almost like a friend. Um, there's a there's, other labels like Ninja Tunes and so on as well and Erase Tapes that you kind of, you trust because you've had those one or two artists, you kind of just start becoming quite committed to to everyone else on the roster. How did it feel when you found out that you were on that label? So I had... Um I shot was the first track that I had produced and recorded myself and as Panda Sue I'd always self-released and with She I had decided again that I was just going to self-release because I was really adamant that I just wanted to put out some honest music and I didn't in any way want to have to consider how to make this a success so I had not considered taking it to labels um a couple of weeks before I released I Shot, I was in Iceland. I was taking part in a residency, completely independent, um, in a very small village called Thingri, just for 10 days. And I completely fell in love with uh, the country, the landscapes, everything, to the point that, I mean, as soon as I got back to Scotland, I immediately began to plan how I was going to get back out there.
started to write some music when I was there also um, and then I think a week later I released I Shut and 
that afternoon, that afternoon that I'd put it out, uh, my friend Davey sent me a message to say, hey, um, Davey, who's uh, Finney Tribe, wow. who worked with one yeah. of Indian, uh, still does. Um, Lovely man. <laughs> A beautiful man. Yeah. Um, he sent me a message saying, hey, uh, one that Lindy have been in touch. They're wondering if you'd be interested in Chang. I was like, okay. Um, I mean, yes. And I remember, uh, so I spoke to them, I think the following week. And we're like doing some introductions and they said, oh, like, I don't know if you know, but we work with like Bjork. And I was like, yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I know who you are. <laughs> And I was like, hey, but did you know that I've just been in Iceland? And they didn't. They had no idea, of course. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that felt special because almost at that point, I was looking for ways to get back out there. Of course, they have, I mean, Bjork, but also other artists, Ashgear, Spaced Out There, um, Samaris, like lots of other incredible Icelandic artists. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of made perfect sense sense um but still I was like okay but this is a label and with that brings expectation and maybe a little bit of pressure so let's meet and chat this through and you know they were so honest and open about everything and there is absolutely no ego with that label and one of the first things they said was by the way just because we're one little Indian this is still really hard work like for everyone yeah so like we're all in this together but like you need to know that this is everything is tough um and I thought that that was yeah that was a really um great thing to be honest about because a lot of the time there's a lot of bullshitting involved and it's the thing that just turns me off immediately yeah and there's absolutely been none of that with them at any point and every uh decision has been a conversation and actually I mean they are it's a family-run label but everything they do feels like an extension of that and that's really, yeah, that's really special. Yeah. And even the album. So I had been working on the tracks um, already and at no point did they like get involved or suggest or like n none of that. So in terms of the creative control, almost in a way it feels a little bit like it could still be a self-release because they've allowed me to be, yeah, so in control of a lot of the decisions around that. And of course, it's a bigger project and there's more people working on it. Um, but that's been great too, because the thing about self-releasing is that it's exhausting. It is. And, yeah. And and this is also exhausting, but mm -hmm. of a different kind. Yeah. One where I feel like, I mean, it's exhausting, but this is, it feels very nice to be supported by such wonderful people too. So yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. Yeah. But I mean, it's it, 10 years. Yeah. So. And, and okay, lucky like you work hard and yeah. you have a vision of what you want to do or put out or create um so yes luck but also I believe very much in this idea of things falling into place yeah when they're meant to fall into place and actually just believing in that uh, I think has probably been singularly the thing that I think that's been the main difference between these projects and I honestly think that has been why things have really gotten to the place that they are with shoes because this time I was like okay I'm gonna do it this particular way and I'm not gonna try and let other external factors influence this and I feel like since I made that decision um yes yeah, yeah I almost can't explain it but it's just it was it, 
I feel like it was meant to be. So, uh, Christian Loeffler. Christian Loeffler. Is it Loeffler? Loeffler? Loeffler. Okay. <laughs> um, so I was saying to you there um, that I'm big into all of that and I've you've introduced me to someone new mm. and I'm now going to binge the shit out of his stuff so um where did you first hear him I first okay I'm gonna talk up maybe the only time um but I was listening hmm online do you know what maybe i was listening on spotify to something else yeah and maybe he just happened to be a suggestion of part of an algorithm um and i heard him there and i went what is this um i'd never come across him before he just put out this album mayor and at this point i was living near a very big forest called tensmere and i literally took my bike for a cycle and i listened to this album and this track that you're about to hear and something in my head just clicked and i went this is the kind of music or the kind of feelings that i want to start exploring in my own music During that time, I then also John Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, I'd seen him. I was really lucky. I um, had played Home Game Festival, part of Fence Collective at the time, a couple of years before. And I had seen John in the town hall in Anstruther. And something very strange had happened during that set that at the time I didn't know how to explain. So people thought that I just didn't like it. And I was bored because I fell asleep. But it wasn't really asleep. It was a strange, like, strange altered state because music like John's could totally do that yeah um and I feel very similar to Christian Loeffler when I listen to this album like it takes me to a place that I can't quite explain but it totally calms me yeah uh and this album ah was yeah you should everyone everyone should listen to this album um I totally know what you mean um this uh artists like that um they just do wonders for my mental health I just it's it's a way of kind of it's it almost like it kind of balances you out a bit you can it's almost that want to kind of go out and explore the world but have that soundtracking and it is just I'm so grateful that I've kind of just started to really discover all these artists at this time of my life um, which I guess is what you're talking about as well, is that, you you know, it's there's always an urgency for people for you to consume certain things, but you, I believe that you have to do it when you're ready to do that. Um, and I know that you're, we were kind of speaking about that, so. 
I think it's this whole idea of music as a meditation. Yeah. And actually, honestly, before I would have been quite uncomfortable um, when I even think about like meditating. What? But for me, I don't think I realized that all this time, all these years, music has been my meditation. Uh, and certainly, like even with some of the the tracks on the album, the music that I was listening to at the time of writing that definitely influenced how a lot of the like how I started to write music or approach music and I think I've never really honored the whole set structure for a song like verse chorus verse middle eight uh but certainly this kind of music has I feel allowed me to be a little bit more flexible in my approach or a little bit confident um yeah see uh obviously now you've you've kind of touched on the fact that production is something that you really have started to explore and um I mean the production on the album is is really ridiculous it's so good um was what where were you coming from in terms of the approach to that and were there any kind of light bulb moments that you discovered even using different techniques or or gear or surroundings that kind of really contributed to to the making of the record yeah I think that initially the need to explore production came from a a lack of confidence to be able to articulate in a studio environment what I would like my music to sound like and it's something I always I mean I've been lucky with producers I've worked with in the past Um, it's never been impossible but I'd always wish that I had a grasp on terminology or like knowledge of like how to properly communicate um but I always struggled like there was always something about vocals or about the instrumentation and I was like okay well look the best way to be able to communicate these things is to just actually go away and learn how to do it yourself start there and so I enrolled myself in a six-week sound production course uh at the Academy of Sound and Music in Edinburgh which is absolutely brilliant it's it was a free course um logic pro did not have any studio equipment prior to that Uh, after i finished the course i bought my first ever audio interface some studio monitors and i just went to work and that was literally starting from the very beginning and just going okay cool how do you how do you produce things (laughs) um i was so lucky that with this album I worked again with Robin, who I worked with. Robin Sutherland. Oh, Robin Sutherland, who now has this incredible studio over in Finland. Um, but we worked together a lot on the Panasu recordings he produced for this record. I produced, but he mixed, uh, but was so supportive and like little questions here and there I had. And actually, Robin, can you help out with this? And yes, yeah, so it was very nice to have him by my side throughout that. Uh, but yeah, the production. There was a couple of things. I think the record is also very much influenced by my environment. Uh, the record was written at a time I just moved to Dundee, and I was living and working um, in a house there. That really, I mean, it was my studio, so a very, very minimal setup, um, but also. I had to do a lot of that work during late night or very early morning hours. And that definitely had an impact on my own state of mind in a way I think actually really helped because I've always been a bit of a perfectionist. And when you are producing your own music, like where is 
what's the point where you go, oh, this track is done? Because in all honesty, a, a track could never be done. Mm-hmm. If you, There's always things that you could go, this could be better, or that could be better. But when I was working on it, because of these working hours and this routine that I had, um, I was less precious about things, maybe. And so that meant that I was a wee bit more courageous. Where have you gone? I've been waiting up for you for so long. Emma, what can I do when all the thoughts in my head surround?
So I think, yeah, the production, it was definitely influenced by sort of my state of mind at that time, my environment. Um, and also, I, th- I mean, it's a very personal record to me. It was also the reason that I wanted to explore producing and recording it by myself. Not because I'd feel like I was hiding behind another producer collaborator, but just because I, yeah, it felt important that, to be honest, that I would take almost responsibility for some of the decisions that I was making on the production side without maybe asking someone else, not permission, but certainly like, what do you think about this? Or I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just, just produce and record a record that I could say that, yeah, this was mine and this is the first thing that I have made and this feels very much like me. This is quite a nice continuation in, in Nils Fram because I, I, I get kind of tasters of, of that and it's I know sometimes people don't like comparisons but I think reference points are quite nice and um, I, I think that this is um, I get the the dynamics within the music that you're producing now um, it, it's almost a kind of it's I guess it's between Christian and Nils and and Jenny Havel that we're going to come on to as well but um, Nils Fram is just the catalogue of work that he has done but the sheer emotional impact of his music and how he kind of expresses himself through the way he plays and it's almost like the the piano is is him um so what was it about Nils so this particular song is from a soundtrack uh to a film called Victoria uh shot in one take in Berlin right I was working at the time at uh, Dundee Contemporary Arts which meant that I had free and limited access to all of the films and many days I would work my shift there and then I would just stay the rest of the day in the cinema screen just watching all of these incredible films and one of them was Victoria and it was the first film that uh, Niels had soundtracked and um, it features over this a very very beautiful scene that I don't want to describe because I think it would do an injustice but I do think or hope that you will watch Um, it was at a time where I had through all musical uh, projects I guess I'd only ever really thought about the sound maybe that sounds like an obvious thing to say but what I mean is that other art forms and how they can weave in and out of what you're putting out how important that can be. Thank you. 
And film and dance arrived kind of at the same time uh, for me, actually, where I started to go, wait, so you create sounds, but then there are other ways of presenting some of these ideas. And visually, that suddenly became a very important uh, part of the work that I was making. Um, and so what, and for me, and okay, some people might say, but yeah, film soundtracks can be manipulative and they want you to feel a certain way. But really some of my favorite films are the ones that you just sit and you, that soundtrack just gets you. And this is definitely, I mean, I immediately went out to buy this, um, soundtrack on vinyl, did not have a record player, but they did not have it on CD. I just bought it anyway and I just stared at it. <laughs> I was like, I know that this record is a very important record. Um, and I mean, even a couple of minutes ago, we put it on and I could feel like, yeah, it does something to me. It's a very beautiful piece of music and I don't always have an answer for, but what's your favorite song ever? Uh, but I would say that this one is one of them for sure. You, you spoke there about um, obviously the films and and um, and dance and and obviously the the visual uh, aspects of what's accompanied your songs now is a, there's a very specific style that that you kind of have and it's it's almost dreamlike um, but there is um, there's a kind of purity there in terms of the human form relationships sexuality um what so what are some of the themes that have inspired um the the videos that have accompanied I think for me where that all began to fall into place I moved to Dundee and I moved into a house that was sharing with a dancer at Scottish Dance Theatre uh, called Harry Clark. And Harry, on the sides, when he was not dancing beautifully, was also a photographer. Um, and he'd shown me some of his work when I'd first moved in. And I had just finished working on Eyes Shut. And I played it to him. And we kind of went, oh, it might be nice to... Why don't we collaborate? And I... have always... Um, not shied away from collaboration but I've always thought it might be a strange thing to work with someone and to have to describe perhaps in a lot of detail what or why I had created something because for me when you make music that is a way to communicate something that perhaps you do not know how to communicate using words and to collaborate how can you really how can you really collaborate without that dialogue and so I think I'd always worked quite independently. Um, but for I Shut, I'd made this track. I played it to Harry and we decided that we would just uh, work on a video together. Uh, we did that with some friends uh, from Scottish Dance Theatre. We hired out for half a day this incredible building in Dundee called Westward Works. We had no crew. Uh, we had no lights, we had no equipment. Harry was using a Super 8 camera for the first time ever. This was the first video he'd ever made. <laughs> um, I literally just rolled in some speakers and played out the song. Um, Fra and James that were in the video, that was improvised. Everything about that was improvised. The light, we were so lucky with uh, because the way it just streamed through those windows, like that was not planned and to say, oh, that's like a one-off, that's great. But actually, that's how Harry and I have made all of the videos. Not through a lack of like proper prep, but just that 
uh, he works a full-time job um, and it's been hard to like plan things so far in advance there hasn't been a massive budget so we've just gone okay let's let's not plan it out we don't have to have like a storyboard here we'll just go and make something and we'll use whatever we get on the day and with super 8 film it's very expensive so yeah even for the eyes shot video we literally only had six minutes worth of film and the song itself is five minutes but we knew that going into it like okay whatever we're shooting here we're gonna have to use um but actually uh, at no point were we like oh well we're gonna have to look for some footage now to fill in this part or that part actually it was totally enough and and it was the same with the boy video um which we shot in Tensmere forest i drove the car uh, harry filmed jesse um we did it before they started work that morning um like an hour turnaround uh then they went off to work and i went off to do something else diy is best diy and i think well there's something though this idea that limitations can be a blessing because if you do have a massive budget and like access to to anything like where do you start with that yeah so actually i have really loved how everything's just been done like in the moment um and of course there'll be times where it doesn't always work out like you have an idea and maybe when you go back to your like "Mm, maybe you know but certainly up until this point like every video has felt i mean it's been made in that way like really naturally and so for me i think it was also important that Harry's work I mean I wanted I've been really interested in getting other people's perspectives so I've never sat down with him and said well this track is about this so we better make a video that looks like this that's never happened so how it's looked is actually completely from Harry's that's Harry's doing um apart apart from St Cyrus where I said to Harry hey Harry what are you doing at 10 o'clock tomorrow um I've set something up for us and that was the St Cyrus video um we hadn't met (laughs) this is just yeah it sometimes these things just fall into place yeah and when I try to explain them to people they look at me like you're a bit strange how you do things aren't they so final song Jenny Jenny Haval um you you kind of light up when you even talk about her I can see it for those that are just listening obviously you just it's an immediate change in in response so what what who what does she mean to you uh jenny haval does not just do one thing she does many things she is artist producer she's a writer performer um i first saw her perform at summerhome a couple of years ago as part of the fringe and um i had not heard her music before but about halfway into the gig she stopped and said by the way um you should all know that the airline lost a lot of our instruments and like all of our costumes and equipment so a lot of this set has just actually been improvised um and I was like what like you would not tell because she was just carrying all of that and her music is just yeah to me there are very few people that I listen to their music and can instantly feel like some kind of an affiliation with, oh, I know what you're writing about and I feel very similar. And actually you've just managed to write about something in a way that maybe I've tried to or would like to, but you just seem to get it 
and it's a special feeling when you discover like discover that or come across it. Look at them Yeah, that I feel the same both when I listen or watch her perform. When I was saying earlier, I was really lucky. She was performing at a festival in the Netherlands a few weeks ago that I went out to see, and uh, the show was called The Practice of Love. And it's an extension of an album that she just put out. And I think, yeah, I think there are some correlations in the way that we work that the music and the visuals, they kind of work together and they're as important each other so um, this song is from her latest album and yeah it's definitely my favorite um what's next for you I mean obviously the the record's got to have time to breathe um but what is planned so the record is out one month today it's one month old it doesn't feel it feels far newer than that to be honest Yeah. yeah I haven't yet played it out um, in Scotland at all, really. So in January, I've got some shows. I'm going to do Hug and Pint uh, as part of Celtic Connections. And also planning a show in Edinburgh, Aberdeen, and also Dundee, please. (laughs) If I can find a space. (laughs) Um, and And then I'm returning to Iceland so I've been working on a project out there uh, for about a year now, on and off, um, which is much more experimental and um, guest focuses more on hmm, connections between sleep and landscape and sound. And it's kind of exploring altered states of consciousness, which might sound like I'm just going out there and taking some some crazy drugs but I'm not okay um, it's all natural um uh yeah so I did a, a residency for that project at Summer Hall uh, earlier this year so I'm going back to develop it um and hopefully I'll be performing that in some other form a little bit later in the year wow so that's my plan it's um it's been great to catch up with you again and um, I'm really excited about what's coming up and um, I wish you all the best for what's coming next. Thank you, Helena. Thank you. Thank you. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.